0: We're going to be in Acts chapter 7, we're going to be in verses 54 through 60. So before we do that, though, first I want to say, brothers and sisters, I have to admit, my soul is weary today. I'm a bit exhausted and afraid, but my hope is, my hope is in the Lord. Jesus is King, okay? So here in Acts chapter 7, we see the first Christian martyr in Stephen. Stephen finishes preaching the truth of Christ into the darkness of the hearts of the people of his day. And here's what happens. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today, despite what our slide says here, we're going to be taking a break from our series in Genesis, and we're going to pick that back up next week. And I believe that in God's providence, the timing and content of that passage will be so valuable to us in this time. Yet, as elders and shepherds of our congregation, there are times where we must listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and, in humble wisdom, submit to the changes that the Lord brings our way. Today is one of those days. This was not the sermon that I planned to preach this weekend. In fact, I hadn't planned to preach at all. Yet, here I am. So... I ask of you an extra measure of grace (laughs) as we all continue on. I love you all. I am committed to doing what is best for you. Because of this, our sermon today is going to look very different than normal. We won't be in a single text today like we usually are, and we will likely talk much more about application in light of some specific events that affect our church. So let's speak plainly then about what has happened Hopefully, you all had a chance to look at the email that was sent yesterday and knew that we would be talking about an incident that happened this week. If you have not, then grace on you, and maybe you just didn't get that email, and that's fine. Um, It's the elder's desire to be as transparent as would be helpful and legally wise, given the event. Um, So here it is. On Thursday, Pastor Cody was cited with a battery charge. While he would want to make public comment about it for his legal protection, it is best if he does not say anything publicly until it's resolved. Note that we in the church are leaving the legal matters to the civil government. What we are concerned about here is the ways that this event may be sinful and or disqualifying for him. So... So that it's abundantly clear, again, we make no comments on the legality of the event that happened. However, I have sought wise counsel from trusted elders in other congregations. Matt Deliberto, I, and a few others have seen the video of the event in question, and unanimously, we do not believe that we saw any behaviors that would disqualify Cody from being an elder at this time. So any... Any action that Cody was conscious bound to repent of, he has already spoken to both Matt and I about and repented of those things, okay? I am speaking this weekend not because Cody is in trouble, not because he has been put under any sort of probation from his elders or any punitive action from the church, okay? Rather, I am speaking to give Cody time to heal, Quite literally, physically, I don't know that he would be able to make it through a whole sermon this weekend. But also, more importantly, though Cody is our pastor, he is a member of our church as well, and even elders and their families need kind and gentle pastoral care in the hard seasons in their lives. Sorry. Sorry. Cody, Amanda, and the Waterman children with a special emphasis on Ryder and Josie who were present to witness the event can use our love and support more now than ever, okay? Okay, I ask that you be kind and show them grace yet without prying for more information, okay? So that's that. Because of the nature of the case and because there is video on social media, we expect that this has the potential to be very public as it is. We feel that it is best for the Watermans that they share what they feel is appropriate, both legally and personally, so the church will not take any official stance or share any details. The Watermans need our love, church. Let's help them to heal spiritually, emotionally, and physically, okay? All right, so there's that. That's the email. That's why everybody's here today. Um, So what's our response? In order to respond to this, I want to view things in their proper context, and that's admittedly going to be a little difficult for me because I'm a little hamstrung by not sharing details about the event. So I want to walk through this by giving some biblical principles that I think apply, So our first biblical principle today, if you're taking notes, I'll try to repeat it multiple times. Our first biblical principle today is, it is appropriate to engage the world. It's very common to hear Christians in the world today preach something that sounds very much like, just don't involve yourself in anything. Whether it be politics, faith debates, or even just basic stances of right and wrong, people take a stance of, who am I to judge? Or even even more so, well, that's the world, so what say do I have? I'm the church, right? One of the things that I hope has become crystal clear here at Proclaim is that we believe that Jesus Christ rules over all creation. We see that in the passage that I read earlier when Stephen is being stoned and he looks up and sees Christ Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne of God, the Father in heaven. See, in the first century, to someone reading that, if you were to say that to someone, if you were to say that they were at the right hand of the Lord, that is, that would mean that they have all authority and power, even to judge all things. And we see Jesus even claim this in his final instructions to the apostles before his ascension into heaven on that throne and to that throne. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." So even as Christ is giving the marching orders to the church, the marching orders which still apply to us today, he roots the reason for those orders in his authority. He says, all authority in heaven, listen, this is the part we forget, and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. It's the reason why we go. The entire mission of the church, the very good news of the gospel, is that Jesus is king. And that has far-reaching implications in every area of life and to every person. All of this because Jesus humbled himself to become a man and was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death on a cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2 9 through 11. I even went King James Version because shall felt right in this moment. <laughs> and this is where I think the church has gotten our understanding of the gospel a little wrong in recent years. See, we are not salespeople. We're not to go into the world and sell fire insurance. We are ambassadors and heralds of King Jesus. We don't beg people to consider a dead savior. We are calling people to bend their knee to the king before he comes in judgment. And he will. We are called to proclaim the truth of not only his salvation for those who repent and submit to him, but also his justice. And we seek to see that justice in the earth because, according to Jesus, he has all the authority here as well. So why have we gone down this rabbit trail and what does this have to do with Cody? Part of that proclamation looks like doing the right things. It looks like speaking truth to evil. It looks like telling someone it's not appropriate to speak wicked, vulgar things to children. It just may look like putting your own body between evil and those who are vulnerable and innocent to shield them from the wickedness in the world. In our passage earlier, Stephen, the martyr, was killed because he spoke the truth to a world who didn't want to hear it. And my fear is, is that we have lost the courage to speak what is true and to stand for what is right in the world. We don't believe that Jesus has the authority, the power, or the victory that he bought by his own blood on the cross. He expects us to tell the world. He expects us to speak the truth into the darkness. Not just of his redemption for us, but of his righteousness, his goodness, his holiness, and to push back the dark and profane when and where we can. The truth is that King Jesus has rights over all creation, seen and unseen, and this is the foundational principle that all reality stems from, including all the other principles we're talking about today. So let's move on to the next one, our second principle. We need to rightly understand righteous actions. I'm reminded of the story of King David, but before he was a king, when he was only a shepherd boy. See, the cowardice of King Saul led to the open mockery of Yahweh, the Lord, and the people of God. Saul was indeed such a coward that when Goliath, the Philistine and sworn enemy of the Lord, whom Saul was actually meant to serve, he was meant to serve the Lord, um, and he was meant to protect his people, he didn't challenge this Goliath, openly mocking the Lord and his people. In fact, not a man dared to face him, because of course his men were fearful. Goliath was a giant, and not even their king was willing to stand against him. And King Saul's cowardice is seen in full force when he willingly sends a child in his stead. He even offers him his armor, the king's armor, to a child, to a shepherd boy, to go out and do the duty that Saul should have done. Why was Saul so scared? Well, he didn't believe what David did, that the Lord was on his side. He didn't believe that the battle wasn't based on how good of a warrior he himself was. But time and time again in Scripture, we see that's not how God works. The battle is the Lord's, and he's looking to bless those who trust that that is true. So David, a shepherd boy, is left to face a giant. We may have been led to believe that in these situations that the right thing to do is always to turn and run. We're on the losing side as Christians here, aren't we? At least that's what we've been told. Surely David's kind words would have satiated the giant, or at best, hail would come down from heaven, right? Goliath threatens. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field, 1 Samuel 17, 44. And David responds with winsome kindness, of course, right? No. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that here is a God, or that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 47. And thwack. David sinks the stone right into the head of Goliath. No second chances, no pleading, just a plain old fight. And just to make sure that the job was done, quote, David ran and stood over the Philistine and took the sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. 1 Samuel 17, 52. So what do we take from this? Listen, this by no means is a call to violence. Please, 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 please do not hear that. Yet, it is a call to Obedience. You probably spent most of your time in the church either thinking you were David in some sort of righteous sense or about how you should be prepared for a call from the Lord, or maybe some of us in the younger reform circle have had it beat into your head that you're not David, but you're actually Goliath, you filthy, wretched sinner. And maybe you really are Goliath and openly mocking the Lord. But listen, we need more David's out there, not in his violence but we need people of action. David had a specific time, place, and job to do. And the scripture sees him as righteous in his actions. And we know this is true because when David is unrighteous in his actions later in his life, the scriptures are clear about that. Even though he mocked Goliath right back to his face, nowhere in scripture are we meant to see here that David is too mean or unkind or anything like that. David knows that the Lord is on his side because he knows what the Lord's side is. And we need more people like him, people who aren't afraid to call a spade a spade and tell the enemies of God that the bill is about to be due. That that their actions are unjust. That they, continuing in their sin, are under the wrath of God even now. But they also need to know there is still time to repent. Repent. So what are those things that we are to do, right? Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. Proverbs 31, eight through nine, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Micah 6, eight, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Proverbs 28, 5. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Would David's callous words have been righteous if they were aimed at an innocent child? No. They would be completely unjust. But was it right and just for him to speak the judgment to come to the enemy of God? Yes and amen. Life is complex, and that's actually purposeful. That's part of the beauty of the Lord's design for life. But we should also understand that righteousness and what may or may not be righteous in action will also be complex. There are clear things in Scripture that are sin. There are some things that are not clear, and we must rely on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to align us with the heart of God. We can look to passages like Stephen and Acts who laid down his life. Or David and Goliath, where David stood up to the enemies of God to help us understand what the heart really is, which helps us to understand our next principle. Our next principle to live by here, to think about, is the idea of all of Christ for all of life. And that's not a phrase that I coined, but I think it's very helpful See, Paul tells us that we are to imitate him as he imitates Christ in 1 Corinthians 11.1. And in Romans 8.29, we are called to be conformed to the image of Christ. And my fear is, is that we have an idea of who Christ is in our minds that is very jaded by our own desires or the whims of contemporary Christian culture. What we desperately need is to see Christ as he is revealed in Scripture. He is meek, and he is humble. He is also powerful and wise. He lays down his life in sacrifice for those who he loves. He drives the money changers out of the 30-acre temple court with a whip, he fashions, and flips tables as he goes. He tells the disciples to sell their cloaks and buy a sword, and he heals the ear of the man who his disciples used a sword on. He says, let the little children come to me and he harshly rebukes his friend and calls him Satan. In many ways, Jesus can feel a bit like a paradox to us. So we tend to decide what kind of Jesus we'd prefer. Would we prefer the Jesus who heals the blind, or would we prefer the Jesus who flips the tables? Do we want the Savior who died for our sins, or do we want the King who will execute judgment on everyone? And here's the thing. As I noted in the email, that you should have received yesterday, or maybe you didn't. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. There is no change in him. We must accept all of him. We must accept all of the accounts of him in the Gospels. We must accept all of the accounts of him in the whole New Testament. And we must accept all of the accounts of him in the Old Testament. That is to say, as Paul says in 1 Timothy three sixteen through 17 all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All of Scripture gives us a picture of what it means to be like Christ. Every act of righteousness is a glimpse into the true righteousness that only he could fully exemplify when he came as a man. Every act of sinfulness is an example of how we fall short of that. And so whatever the Bible sees as good, we should too. Whatever the Bible sees as evil, we should see as evil. To be conformed to the image of Christ is to be conformed to the whole image of Christ. This is why we take so much time here at Proclaim to diligently preach the Word of God and to encourage you to be in the Word of God. So we should seek to both act in and understand every situation that we find ourselves in in light of all of Scripture. So when confronted with evil, I think we fall into two ditches oftentimes. If your temptation is to say, no matter what, I should always back away, then listen, you have rejected the good and righteous deeds that Christ has revealed to us in his word and his life example where evil has been addressed or God's justice has been enacted against it. And if your temptation is to say every evil must always be addressed in the moment, then you have rejected every ounce of mercy that God has revealed and you have damned yourself by failing to recognize the mercy that you have received. And so we must. We must be in the Word of God. We must be in prayer. We must seek the heart of God in every situation. And that consistent, constant, conforming to the blessed image of Christ will change our lives and prepare us to act in justice, righteousness, with humility show mercy, and show godly restraint in the face of evil. We must seek to be like all of Christ for all of life, every moment. So in conclusion, we have some principles to help us understand and navigate this moment. If you didn't catch them, our first principle is it is appropriate to engage the world. Don't think that it's not. We need to rightly understand righteous actions We need to seek to be like all of Christ in all of life. So let's talk about some implications on our situation here. And I want to ask and answer some questions you may have in your mind. So here's some implications. Our, Our first one. Because Jesus is king, it is good and right to condemn and attempt to stop what he calls evil. Okay? Our next one. Because Jesus is king, it is good and right to stand for those who cannot stand for themselves. Our next one. Because God designed families the way he has, it is good and right to stand for his definitions of family, the rights of unborn people, biblical sexual ethics, and the differing roles God has given each person according to their sex. Just one? (laughs) All right. We're going to keep moving here. Another one. Because God has designed fathers to lead and protect their families, it is good and right for fathers to do so. Okay? Let's, Let's make sure that those things are very clear. Because each of these implications is true, we at Proclaim do not seek to minimize our engagement with the world on these issues. In fact, we actually celebrate where we see our members, elders, and those in our lives who are exemplifying these truths and standing for them in the face of evil in the world. So we affirm these things because we are in submission to the King who designed them this way. In fact, we affirm them so strongly that we want you to be better equipped to handle situations where you may encounter those who would seek to blaspheme the Lord, who would seek to tarnish the name of Christ and His church, and who, like their father the devil, would seek to destroy all that our king has called good and righteous. So for this reason, we've asked Clifton Bogie, owner of Acorn Music Academy and friend of Proclaim, to be available as a resource next week after service. If you don't know Clifton, he faithfully preaches the gospel at Planned Parenthood locations around the city, while speaking the truth about the murder of children to those who do not want to hear it. In fact, Clifton has been so faithful that he has kicked the proverbial hornet's nest. Okay? There are those who would seek to stop the ministry that Clifton has been so faithful in, and they have taken to protesting his business and are not above speaking vile things to the people of our town, including those in our church. And they do this in the hopes that his reputation would be soured in our town. And we say no. Well, you need to understand, church, if you haven't figured it out yet. This is what persecution looks like. Okay? We have preached for a long time now about how we will face persecution. And that maybe looked a little different in the past. Maybe you've thought twice about posting something simple and true about God's Word on social media because you were concerned about the backlash with your friends, or maybe you are concerned you even lose friends over it. But we're entering a time or the kind of persecution that we face is different. It's not necessarily going to be preaching to the death, burial, and resurrection that they throw you in prison for. It's because doing the right thing according to God's word won't line up with the law. Okay? My voice is tired. So in the persecution of a brother in Christ for the faithful work of speaking the truth into the darkness comes to our doorstep, then all of the other Christian brothers and sisters who seek to be diligent and consistent in their faith, who seek to engage the world, who seek to rightly understand righteous action, and who seek to be like all of Christ in all of life, well, they're going to get their fair share of persecution too. In Acts 5, Peter and the apostles had been preaching in Jerusalem, and they were arrested. They were taken in and questioned. The rulers decided to let them go, but listen to the story here at the end. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, listen, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. In other words, it is an honor to suffer in service of the king. So we don't shy away from the suffering. We welcome it. We count it joy to suffer with our brother. We count it joy to speak the truth. We see the inconvenience of suffering through protest, wicked words, and wicked action. When we frequent his place of business despite the way that we or our children may be treated, we count it all joy despite the cost. And we stand for what is true even in persecution. And we do this because that is what Christ did. So here now are some questions that are probably rolling around in your mind. I certainly have been working through a lot over the past couple of days as well. First, how do we engage those who persecute us? Well, first, we need to carefully consider each situation. Engaging in a conversation with someone seeking to provoke you is, a difficult, is difficult in any situation, okay? Not every one of us has the same level of discipline, not, and I'm not giving legal advice here. This is just practical, okay? This is just me, practical. I say don't make any physical contact where at all possible, do protect your children. Some children may be able to handle certain situations better than others. If you feel unsafe or others in your care feel unsafe, it's totally appropriate to call the police. That's okay. Okay? If you do engage in conversation, then engage with truth. Do so honestly and without malice. Share with them their great need for a Savior. They may mock, they may laugh or curse you, they need to know the truth of the gospel like anyone else. That's right. If you don't think that you can engage in a way that is righteous according to Scripture, then just don't engage at all. That's my advice on how we engage with them. Next question. Are we safe? I think that's a real question. And I think that's a complicated question as well. I wish I could tell you unequivocally, yes, But the scriptures demand that I don't lie. But what I can say is relatively yes. The reality is, it's just the facts, this incident has proven that there are some who have been willing to use physical violence to try to tarnish the name of Christ in our town. It is that plain and simple. The likelihood is that if you ignore them, they will not engage you in that way. However, it's a very common tactic used among activist protesters to escalate rhetoric in order to trap you and heighten the potential to make things physical. As a personal caution, I would say, if someone has a camera visible and is protesting in our town, I would seek to just disengage at this point. So our next question. Should we be afraid? No. In fact, we are called not to fear. In Joshua 1, right after Moses had died, hear what the scriptures say in verses 7 through 9. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In Matthew 6:34, Christ says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And finally, Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In fact, if you read the Gospels, Christ promised suffering to us if we seek to live and preach the way he actually taught us to. And yet... He calls us not to fear. So the big question, what do we do now? (laughs) This happened. What do we do now? First, we're going to pray for the individuals that are involved. We get on our knees. We seek the Lord's wisdom. James 1, 6 through 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, And it will be given. It will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So let us ask for wisdom and faith without doubt, not without doubt in ourselves, but without doubt in Christ the King, who, as Romans 8, 28 says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Amen. We believe that for Proclaim. We believe that for the Watermans. We believe that for Cody. Our church needs wisdom. Your elders need wisdom. The Watermans need wisdom. And we all need King Jesus. Amen. So we pray for wisdom. We also pray, and this is vital. We pray for the salvation of our persecutors. The reality is that, yes, justice needs done. But we who believe in King Jesus know that justice will be done. There are none who escape it. For those of us who are in Christ, the wrath of God was poured out on Christ on our behalf. For those who are not in Christ, they will receive grace, or they may receive grace and patience today. But one day they will will receive the unbridled wrath of King Jesus. They stand condemned even now before that final judgment. So would you pray for the salvation of the enemies of the gospel, even those in our town? And finally, this is very important for us. We carry on in faith. We are not the first Christians to face such trials, church. I know that's hard to believe because this is our first time, but we have a rich and long history of persecution in the church. Many have suffered for the name of Christ, even unto death. All but one of Christ's faithful disciples was killed for the name of Christ. You know that? The only one who wasn't He was put on an island prison for the rest of the life, and that was only after being boiled in oil didn't do him in. Every one of them. Had the church given up then, we wouldn't be here. You wouldn't know the Lord. But thankfully, they did carry on. Century after century of persecution, the church carried on. And there are those today in other countries who have been killed for the name of Christ. Over the past couple of years, there have been pastors who've been jailed in Canada because they believed that they should not neglect to gather when the government said they had to stop. We're not the first Christians to face persecution, and we won't be the last. But thanks be to God that he has preserved his church. And no matter what may come, do we have any right not to carry on the work that has been given to us? No, we don't. We must carry on the work. Now, I'll be honest, we don't know. We do, we do not know what's going to happen here, church. But I'm asking you to move forward in faith. Not, not in blind faith. I'm asking you to look to Christ. I'm asking you to look to how he has preserved his church through far worse and much darker times than these. And we may have darker days ahead, this much is true. But we have King Jesus, and that is all we need. So we will be here next week and the week after. And Lord willing, we can see the light of the gospel change this city as it changes our lives. So we will not neglect together. We will sing songs of sorrow and joy together. We will read the words that have been gifted to us from our King. We will come to the Lord's table and be nourished in our souls. We will baptize and make disciples. We will teach the nations to obey all that the good Lord, our Christ and King, has commanded. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Lord, we come to you.